Um, I can uh, count us in. Okay. Four, three, two. Welcome to the collaborative po- <laughs> collaborative I'll podcast. S- I'll start and then you start and then I'll read <laughs> Kofi's bio. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. that makes sense. That makes <laughs> sense. Kofi, we have done this before. Yeah. <laughs> this is <laughs> impressive. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm Thomas Counts. And I'm Jerome Goodrich. And you're listening to Collaborative Craft, a podcast brought to you by 8th Light. So, Thomas, who's our guest for today? I'm so glad you asked, Jerome. Today, we're talking with Kofi Gums. Kofi is a programmer based in Baltimore, Maryland, where he works as a front-end engineer at Twitter. As well as being a former 8th Lighter and Recurse Center alum, Kofi is known around the internet for his many personal projects, which include Codec Beam, which is an Erlang VM bytecode assembler for generating Beam instructions from Haskell, which I believe you contributed to, Jerome? That's right, I did. Multi, one of Kofi's latest experiments with building a low-code platform for turning a group of websites into a native macOS experience, and TypeBeat, a beautifully designed software sequencer that he's teased on Twitter. As a serial experimenter, Kofi's ability to ship is awesome to follow, and we're eager to learn more about how his approach to side projects might influence our approach to crafting software at work, which are often very different things. Super different. I am thrilled to talk to Kofi. Kofi was a bit of a mentor to me uh, when I started at Eighth Light. And as a an aspirational side project, let's say, <laughs> I'm really eager to kind of hear from the master. <laughs> mm. It's uh, Side projects are always something I've wanted to do, always something I get started on, but uh, never something I get very far with. And like you mentioned in his bio, Kofi did give me a bit of an education in both side projects and Haskell and open source. I believe that was my first open source contribution. And so, yeah, just really excited to catch up with Kofi and hear more about, you know, how, how he thinks about side projects and how that can relate to the craft of building software. I'm in the same boat. I am an aspirational serial experimenter. I love side projects. I feel like I have a ton of them, but unlike Kofi, I don't like ship nearly as often. Mm. And my side projects are not nearly Mm -hmm. as polished as his. Like he somehow takes all of the kind of energy, creativity, curiosity, and oomph that I feel like I have. And he actually turns it into a final product. And I always get stuck somewhere. And I feel like many people do. When I talk to people about this problem, I know I'm not alone. You have all these ideas. And then somehow it just like something gets in the way or you lose track of time or, you know, it's a million things. There's a little bit of magic, right? That's missing. Yes. Yes. And uh, hopefully Kofi can let us in on the secret. I mean, I feel like if my projects looked as good as his does, I would also <laughs> be very motivated to get them done. <laughs> That's a fair point. I mean, he he presents very well. (laughs) One thing that I want to say about side projects is that there's a lot of baggage about it, I think, in the industry. Like a lot of people feel like they have to or they feel rebellious against it because they're like, I code all day at work. I don't want to do side projects at home. And so like, I really like to square the idea of side projects. 
as like, it's your hobby. It's the thing you're doing instead of knitting or fixing a motorcycle or doing, you know, going to, I don't know, conventions, whatever it is people <laughs> do as hobbies. What was I thinking of? Um, cosplay, cosplay. Oh, like, like Comic-Con. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Like mm-hmm. those things are your hobby and you put a lot of yourself into it. And the same with code. And just because what you do for work, it doesn't mean you have to have that as your hobby. It's just, you know, some people do. Yeah. Yeah. I think that resonates a lot with me as somebody who is maybe in that camp of, oh, I code for a living. Why, you know, why should I also code on my on my off time? Like, give me a little bit of variety. Mm-hmm. But then seeing, you know, there's still that allure. There's still like, I want to use my skills to make something that isn't a fulfillment platform or, <laughs> you know, an invoicing <laughs> web app or something like that. And I'm really excited to just hear how Kofi approaches it, because I think it really is a mindset and a mentality that maybe we can bring into our daily work. Exactly. Can we approach our day-to-day work for our employers writing code with the same kind of energy and excitement and motivation as Kofi has with his side projects? Absolutely. All right. Without further ado, let's talk to Kofi. Thank you so much for being here, Kofi, and welcome to Collaborative Craft. Thank you. Thank you, too. Cool. So I guess we can just dive in to talk about what gets you excited, what gets you motivated, like your projects, even just the few that I read off in in the intro are so diverse in terms of like, some of them are kind of like building a language and a compiler, and some are very creative and artistic. So they really span the gamut. How do you get started? Where does the inspiration come from? How do you say yes to an idea? Mm. And to piggyback, maybe even more, sure. I'm really curious about like what makes you think that you can do these things. <laughs> <laughs> Who gave you the right? Who gave? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I mean, like I look at some of your projects and I'm like, I would never have started because mm. I would never have think that I could actually mm. do anything. You know. <laughs> Codec Beam, actually, the Haskell package is basically me copying what exists in the Erlang compiler. And so knowing that it does exist already makes it kind of feel like, you know, this is achievable. It's like someone has someone has done it and uh, they have put it up online for me to look at for free. And so that gives me a huge head start. And so I know it's I know it's doable. So sorry, just to is that your like Sunday reading is to like, go and read? Open <laughs> yeah, source. I was gonna say like so instead of reading Game of Thrones or like <laughs> Kofi pops open GitHub and starts reading the early and compiler. Paper. Could do a New York Times crossword. Or <laughs> I've skipped some steps. I've skipped some steps. And actually, um, my brothers at one point would make fun of me because I would uh, read github code on my phone sometimes they just oh assumed God. i was reading tweets but it was always it's always in service <laughs> of something specific so i think that yeah i guess backing up even further the core of that codec what became to know be known as codec beam was originally called elm beam kind of it was just me wanting to write elm on the back end 
And that was literally the extent to which like kind of the initial versions of this whole thing were born. I've tried a few approaches. Actually, Jerome was there with me when I was trying some of these while I worked at A-Flight. I tried like an Elm to LLVM and Elm to C compiler. Those are both doable projects too. And I think actually people in the community, in the Elm community have done them. But this was like a year or two into my career and I didn't understand those languages well enough to do it. I wanted to do it, but I didn't understand kind of that level of tools. So I looked for something that was a little higher level and easier to understand. And that's how I ended up in the Beam internals because Erlang internally is very similar to Elm. And so like at that point, I'm like, I'm telling you the story, I guess, super quickly. But at that point, I'm like six or eight months into this journey. And the project is still all about getting Elm to the back end. So, but at this point, I'm like working on understanding the Erlang compilers internals, right? So it's like very, I ended up working on something that is very much a bike shed from the original project stated goals, but it still felt connected enough to me. And as I continued working on it, I realized this is actually probably its own thing. And that's how Codec Beam kind of came around. So it was kind of like, I had a very concrete goal at first, and I ended up with a pretty concrete artifact, but it did not actually resemble or meet the goals that I originally outlined. And so I just called it something else and then and then used it to build the original thing is kind of how how that project ended up going. The multi-app that you mentioned at the at the start, Thomas, was actually the exact same story. Now that I'm thinking about it, it, it actually is the exact same story. But it was a lot more recent, so it took a lot less time. It was only over the course of a few months. But I I just called it a chat app. I slipped because in my mind, it was a chat app at first. I wanted to build an app because I was like, I'm logged into Zulip, which is a chat app. I'm logged into Slack and Discord. And I juggle between them. Like, yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it's just more that like, I don't like the mental space of knowing I have these, I like, I start my day. I like to close my apps at the end of the day. And so when I start my day, I have to open the regular ones and I have to do it three times. And then in my tab switcher, I always have three entries when in my mind, it's like one, I go there for one reason, you know? So I started to, I was just going to build a chat app that had, it was just a web view, a series of web views, one web view for Discord, one web view for Slack, one web view for Zulip. And then as I started building it, I was like, you know, actually there's no reason this just this is just limited to chat. This is actually... You know, I could put any URL in here and have an app that has tabs. And in fact, I can make the URL dynamically configurable. And then when I finish that, I realize that this thing that actually doesn't do chat at all. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a web browser, kind of. Uh, it's a very minimal web browser that lets you kind of make it feel a little more native. So... I published it as that. And then I used it to make the chat app. So I guess that's the thread so far. The music sequencer you mentioned maybe doesn't fall under that yet because it's uh, in progress. Uh, just mm. give it time, right? We'll see. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so pretty to look at mm-hmm. and to, to hear because you recorded some videos of it, but it just looks so inviting, like you want to play and I mean, I wouldn't call myself a musician. I played instruments at points in my life, but there's something about the way you've designed it that feels like, oh, I I want to 
interact with this. I want to see what it does. I want to figure it out. So we'll definitely, yeah, include the link to that. That's awesome. That's like, that was my main goal. So it's really cool to hear. It's also a little funny to hear because I've changed the design quite a bit since. So, <laughs> so um, yeah, hopefully the new version is, it still feels inviting. But yeah, that's the goal to make it kind of like, make it feel hands. It's a computer program, but it, I want it to feel like you're touching it and that you could touch any part of it to make a different piece of sound come out. And that should feel like a safe and playful experience. That's so cool. I love that that word playful because all of the projects of yours that, well, even even the way you're describing the arc of them, it feels so playful. And it reminds me of the stories you hear. Sorry, I'm going to say back in the day, um, but I, I'm <laughs> a relatively a young programmer. <laughs> but like, you know, OG, like computer uh, nerds that like, they got a, a computer at home and then the first thing you do is you like hack away at it mm. and you customize it and you build the you just like experiment with it and there's a lot of play and fun and curiosity and i mean just again the breadth of the projects that you work on to me just screams being like curious or wanting to figure something out or optimize something or tweak something make it your own and there just isn't a or there isn't as much of that maybe with consumer electronics today because everything's so like tailored but it sounds like you you really carve out like a piece of tech for yourself and it's really cool to see and yeah it seems very playful it's definitely playful to me i think um this music app i'm working on it might be one of the first ones that um I intend it to be playful for others, but I feel like the whole process has to feel like play to some degree as I'm working on it or else I get bored. So I I have to be learning something. It's becoming a little bit rarer that I'm kind of learning fundamentally new things at work. And I think it's fine and part of the job. I just code a lot of React. And I learn a little more about React every day, I guess, but <laughs> it's not kind of fundamental paradigm shifting kind of stuff. But I feel like some of the reason that my um, solo projects end up being so all over the place is because I want to have a little play and chaos as part of my kind of growth as a developer and and just kind of keeping me energized in general. Yeah, I love that. As I was kind of prepping for this episode, I was thinking about that kind of MVPs all the way down, thinking about that playful, chaotic nature to some of your personal projects. And I realized that there's actually a pretty interesting, to me at least, thread between that and kind of this new directive we we have at eighth light of like ambitious projects custom solutions to ambitious projects or problems and it it like occurs to me that pretty much like every single one of your your personal projects started with like a pretty ambitious kind of goal and the role of play and the role of chaos and the role of kind of not really knowing where it's going and iterating and rolling with the punches and 
coming out with something that is totally different than what you intended to me speaks a lot about the process of trying to solve ambitious projects. And I'm wondering if you have anything to say about that, if that sparks anything for you. Yeah, I think that um, when you have a project or some kind of unit that feels opaque, I guess, and where you're not sure what what are the smaller pieces here? Because I think iteration as a software developer is almost entirely about working on the smaller pieces, working, you're working on classes or modules and then those classes and modules are working on like structures or functions and it's hard to see you know the classes if you don't understand the blob yet yeah i think for me one advantage i have doing like kind of one thing i'm grateful for is that i am living in this era where so much source code is available to me on GitHub. And yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mentioned my my uh my my brother's poking fun at the fact that I I do like have uh, GitHub's probably one of my top visited sites on my on my phone. <laughs> <laughs> you can answer questions today instantly that you might not have been able to think about how to ask them not too long ago. And so yeah, I do I do a lot of like code search on GitHub just to figure out like have people done this project in this language? If they didn't do it in this language, what language what language did they do it in? Like what has anyone done a, a big project in it? If so, like how did they lay out their like how did they think about the domain? You can look at like just their file structure and see like, oh, these are the concepts that, you know, five people use. I guess these are probably worth maybe understanding from a if I want to understand this domain perspective. That's really interesting because I feel like I do not leverage GitHub as much as like it would be useful to use it, right? Like GitHub is where I push my source code and <laughs> mm -hmm. it's not like a it's not like a compendium of knowledge that I can draw upon. I know other developers that like like yourself that use it really effectively and it makes sense to me especially if you know talking about like ambitious projects to kind of stand on the shoulders of, of giants right like mm -hmm. look at the work that that's come before do, do, you have any, do you have any tips any like uh suggestions or practical ways that me or, or people like me might might be able to leverage github more effectively yeah, get GitHub Copilot, right? <laughs> <laughs> Boom. <laughs> Boom. Yeah. Um yeah, I think I think a place that I started was just uh starred projects like my personal start projects. Even before I started actually reading code, I would see a project on Hacker News and say, Oh, that is an interesting product and I'm going to star it maybe as like a I like the tweet kind of hmm. energy, but a lot of, you know, a lot of like small to medium sized projects are, have a handful of key insights. Like, um, you can imagine like seeing react for the first time and thinking, oh, this is magic. And then understanding from some of their internal documentation, 
okay, the key, one of the key insights here is, you know, the, how they manage unidirectional data flow and the virtual DOM. Mm -hmm. And now you have kind of two ideas that you can hunt through the repo and find, find virtual DOM.js or similar. And that you've like stumbled upon uh, what the developers name as kind of the crux of the thing. And a lot of times just reading that file could, you know, point you to the, in the interesting part, which is kind of one thing for me inside projects, like making sure you're doing as much of the interesting part as possible is kind of a, a constant tension, right? There are hundreds of files inside of final products a lot of time, but, um, in the same way that like I spend energy when I'm writing projects in cutting out what is the non-essential piece of this idea, it's kind of like the inverse process of finding in other people's projects. Like what exactly is going on in this project that kind of looks like magic to me from the outside? A part of how, how I got to multi was doing that for the, there's a library, a C library called WebView which is just a cross-platform kind of wrapper around native platform web views. Pretty much every major desktop platform has one. Um, and so you can kind of ship desktop apps by making a website and shipping the HTML, GS, and CSS, and then shipping a very small generic C layer around that. That's the actual executable. And so reading the code for that library, you know, the part of it where they create the Mac app is so tiny <laughs> and you know some of it is like well if i don't need this feature that they just added because there's a github issue that asked for it then you know it's, it becomes even tinier and so like that core idea is is was the first version of multi and then kind of adding bells and whistles i thought to be necessary for for multi success that didn't exist there i love that i um i don't it either sounds like really stuck up or like, I don't know, what's the word like degrading to say to someone. But the advice I always give to people is to read source code. <laughs> I don't do it as much as I, you know, want to, but I, I do read source code for fun. And especially if you're working on a project, like people talk about, uh, I, I work a lot in Rails. And people are always like, well, there, you have it right there, you just like open it up and look at it. And, and really, it really is approachable code. And you don't always agree with it, but it's what's there. And by reading it, you gain a lot of understanding. And I think always going to the source is like, you, you explain that. It just makes me want to read more code because really, like you said, it, it's not magic. It's it's people that are just like us who are writing this. So it is possible. There is There is a way to do it. And like you said, we live in a time where you get access to all of that for free. <laughs> so, mm -hmm. Yeah. I want like a library, like a like a, um, <laughs> a bookshelf behind me, but just like source code. <laughs> yeah. Just like, oh, I'll read this today. It was really freeing for me to think about it from in the inverse perspective, not just looking for things I want, but looking for things that are bugging me. Like, uh, why does, you know, why is this bug here? And I just remember the first, um, maybe the second year of my career, my first open source contribution feeling like, oh, wow, like this thing that I took to be an artifact is like inspectable. And mm. I just helped fix it because I took the time to kind of read it and 
not that the fix was particularly hard, but it's, you know, it's just these things are built by people who have fixed hours in their day and priorities in their lives. And it's the coolest part about software to me that it's figure outable. I want to circle back to, or I guess we, we haven't really gotten to it yet, but this idea of MVPs all the way down. And to something that, I mean, I think you're, you were still chewing it over, but this idea of like a project only existing in a single file. <laughs> and um, why I'm interested in it is because, you know, a lot of what we try to talk about on this podcast is related to like the day-to-day work, the work that, you know, we sit down at a desk and do our work for our employers. And, and here we're talking about side projects, but there's so much about the way that you approach things and the way that you see things that I think are really inspiring to bring back to work. Like, can we find the play in work when we're approaching problems and can we feel confident finding solutions rather than like reinventing the wheel and like just really having our fingers into the industry and and what's out there to be able to like pull inspiration from it doesn't have to be like all in our institutions or organizations or all in our head so i want to dive into your ideas even though you approach your side projects this way like i think we can carry a lot of that curiosity and and with work uh, or into work so yeah, I'd love for you to to dive into kind of your theories about your personal projects. <laughs> sure. Yeah. It's yeah, I hinted at it just now with thinking about like what is the interesting part about this project and to stay motivated for me, you know, I've got to be spending most of my time on the interesting part. And so I think one of the reasons I end up with sub projects is because when I find myself spending a lot of time on something that feels uninteresting to the thing that I'm trying to do, I want to kind of do it once and, and be done with it, you know, make, make that the interesting part for a few weeks and then finish it and then go on to the thing that I originally thought was the interesting part. And so the idea with, I mentioned this, like keeping, keeping everything in a single file. It's such a, like, it's kind of, how I like to speak just um, in, in absolutes for no reason, I guess. Um, <laughs> uh, but, Don't we all? <laughs> uh, yeah. But it's, it, the one, okay. Here, and uh, as a concrete example, this music uh, sequencer I've been working on, I have like three JavaScript files. There's one called index.js, which is the thing. And then one called I don't remember what they're called. It doesn't matter what they're called now that I think about it. <laughs> but I just put everything in index.js. And then it feels at a certain point like, dang, there's there are mixed levels of abstraction here. And, you know, I have one, I, the top half of this file feels different from the bottom half. The bottom half is the app. The top half is plumbing. So I, you know, put one in plumbing.js or something. And then I have my, actual, my app in index.js. Now plumbing.js to me, should feel done to some degree or definition of done, where like once I take it out of that of the app mind like um context, which is to me that single file, I want it to be finished and just work as a dependency in my to my main file. And so that that is where I started thinking like, dang, maybe when I pull it out of the file, I should just pull it, I should just pull it out of the project because I don't even want to like, obviously there are circumstances I have to redesign, I refactor, 
And there are practical reasons why it probably doesn't make sense to like actually pull it out of the Git repo, let's say. But conceptually, it's not a part of the thing I'm trying to build. It's a layer below. And especially when I'm thinking from the perspective that I want to build something that I will be sharing publicly on GitHub, I don't want anyone who tries to do something very similar to what I'm doing to have to kind of pick apart which pieces apply to them. Like there should be layers that they could feel like, okay, if I copy everything from this directory down, I'll have this little bit and I can build my own version on top of that or something like that. It's almost like you're doing a public service to others that, <laughs> that think the same way as you of like trying to find the interesting bits in source code and just making it easier for them. <laughs> I Yeah, I was hesitant when you said public service, but when you say to people who think the same way as me is, yeah, that's probably it. Yeah, I'm encoding the way I think or I'm trying to encode the way I think in the project structure so that anyone who thinks similarly will have an easy time. You know, uh, I guess the jury's still out as to like how many of, <laughs> of, of, of us there are, but... All right, everyone go read Kofi's GitHub. <laughs> Start if you if you think the way he does and then, I don't know, just don't do anything if you if you don't. Wait, Kofi, do you, do you write tests for these things? Ooh. <laughs> I, nobody usually, clutch the usually, pearls now. I'm just wondering. <laughs> usually not. Codec Beam has very good test coverage, actually. And uh, I was very proud of those. I am very proud of those tests. However, I feel like the only reason the test coverage got there is because I started to treat the tests as their own project. Like there's some interesting mechanics going on with how do you test a code generation uh, language for bytecode, like without just putting arbitrary blobs of bytecode in your like test stubs files so because the tests were interesting i wrote them a lot of the times to me the tests aren't interesting and i and i skip them that's okay i i'm i asked because like yeah i can imagine if you i mean okay we're not here to debate like the importance of tests and tdd um and i think in our professional lives definitely if you work at eighth you write tests but in terms of these projects, like it sounds like there's a way that these abstractions reveal themselves that allow for you to almost hold it all in your head. Like the mental model of it is so close to what it actually is because you've spent so much time discovering the abstractions. They're not saying you don't need tests, but you have a higher degree of confidence than than you would if you had like a 15 file js project no i think you're a hundred percent right and i'm actually surprised that i i didn't use the phrase hold it in your head so far because i i love that phrase and i use it a lot to talk about about um design because i think that is to me that ended up being the main point of tests to hold context concretely in an artifact that's not your head because when you're working on a team in particular especially, you know, a real world team where people come in and out of, like, it can't be in any single developer's head. But when I'm working on stuff that's just, I'm working on it, I feel like that's a totally fine trade-off. And so to me, uh, as I started working more on uh, solo projects, one other aspect I hadn't thought about if, as far as keeping context in my head is how easy is it for me to reload the context if I need to come back to the project. And I don't always love coming back to projects, but I 
I do have to sometimes. Like I, uh, multi is a thing that I sell, and so uh, when bugs come up, I try to fix them. But I'm not work. I work on it maybe like one weekend a month at this point, and so I actually have a hard time with multi because it's in a language I don't otherwise use, Swift, and because of the nature of like how you have to inherit from certain classes and stuff in in to bank a Mac app. There are a bunch of like structures and the structures live in different files. And so I I have some trouble kind of coming back to it. And so I'm trying to be a little more strict about that in the sequencer app I'm building because when I put it away for some time and come back to it, I want it to feel like all the stuff I'm looking at is the app. It's, you know, the layers are somewhere else. And when I you know, look at the directory structure. And when I look at the like main functions and and code structures, they should remind me of like the analogies that I used originally to name these uh, sub components. Yeah. The first thing that pops in my head is like, how does that, that idealized kind of workflow work for you in your, in your day job? Like, how do you square that circle, right? Like, is that a source of frustration? I'm no longer frustrated. I think there was a time I was, but I think that I am now maybe at a certain stage of grief where I've accepted um, <laughs> the fact that that it's very different. It's very different. You know, I I have to write a lot of uninteresting code at work. And it's not just where I work, I think, anywhere like you can't just <laughs> pull out a chunk of code and open source it you know at at will and a lot of you know one thing i realized actually not at not at my current job but at my um i worked at a logistics startup before and uh we did a lot of, we did invoice processing and it was rare that we were kind of the source of truth because it was a, a startup so we had to integrate with like a bunch of older data systems and then it was like a two-way integration a lot of the times, pull data from them and then let people do whatever they wanted with it in our system and then push it back to their kind of home database. And there were a few companies doing similar things. And whenever customers would talk about why did they stick with our product, they would say the integrations work and they're consistent. And they were they were so, from the inside, they just felt so like, not they felt like not the thing, right? They felt like, they're just the, the the pipes that take the data in and out, and then we and then we have the thing, and then the data goes back in or out, right? But from the customer's perspective, like that was the reason that a lot of like people had tried other products and said, like your integrations work, and and the integrations always felt to me like, oh, we're just you know we're programming reactively, we don't really have a, or like organization here because we're just like like building on on legacy systems on their end and but so much of the value we delivered came from the stuff that to me is uninteresting to work on independently so yeah right before i started my current job i worked on my own product for a while uh it was for personal trainers my wife's a personal trainer and so she was the user number one and still user still still a user (laughs) um and I think I fell into the same trap and that's kind of what solidified it for me that like, man, to build a business, it's, you have to 
be able to treat the stuff that's maybe not interesting from a programming perspective as like, you know, the thing that you do to eat kind of. So like, I do want to try it again, see if I can, you know, take another shot at making that kind of work interesting to me. But yeah, at the time I tried it, I felt like that was a constant fight of like, man, I want to be programming what I view as the thing, which is maybe not what a customer might be needing as their thing. Seems like like a yin and yang kind of, <laughs> right? Like on the one hand, I think it's really great to be programming things that you're excited about and developing your own philosophy of how to deliver interesting in some ways content for other <laughs> Kofi's out there. Mm. But I really appreciate the acknowledgement that some of the unsexy stuff is also very important, even if it's not particularly interesting to you and both kind of go into creating lasting projects and there's room for both, right? If I could take the version of myself that does work and is cool with that, and then have a copy that is the side project who is kind of saying these big crazy projects and working on the interesting bits and they repair it. I feel like that might be my my startup team for like I but personally I just I don't know how to switch, you know, effectively navigate that in one body. But if I had two bodies, that would be great. <laughs> GitHub copilot. GitHub copilot. Hey, there you go. <laughs> I have to say, like sometimes um and and I think it's it's totally uh, it's legitimate and, and healthy and valid to admit that like the work of a programmer isn't just the sexy things and it's why I think when you have like a really good project or product manager work can be really f- interesting and fun because they have that kind of touch with the the user and the customer and you really can understand why that unsexy stuff needs to be done but even with that like. I totally pretend sometimes when I'm working that I'm like working at JPL or like NASA or USA <laughs> or something. And I'm like, I know that I'm like working on a, an invoicing system, but I'm going to pretend like these are invoices for NASA <laughs> nice. <laughs> and, then be, and then it will be fun and interesting. Right. But whatever works for you. Whatever yeah, works. Seriously. I honestly thought everyone thought that way. And then I <laughs> told my team that and they were like, what? You're crazy. And I was like, Oh, I guess I am. I want to use that now. I think that's, it reminds me of the Neil Gaiman has like a commencement speech that it's like people love, which is like make good art. And one of the things that he he says in there is like, if you don't know how to do something, like pretend that you are somebody that enjoys doing it and just <laughs> do what that person would do. Right? <laughs> uh, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, I think unless Thomas, you have any questions, maybe we could wrap it up. Yeah, I think we're we're uh, about at time. Kofi, thank you. So much. So much. This has been a really awesome conversation. We've had a few, I think you, I don't know if you called them drive-bys on Twitter. Um, yeah. We've, we've, we've passed by <laughs> yeah. on Twitter a few times. And and like I said, I've been following your side projects. And as a serial side projector, even though mine are never complete, I was always inspired by your work. So I was, I was really excited to have this conversation. Thank you. This was, yeah, this was a lot of fun. I am... Glad that we got to it. I'm glad that it could, you know, help however you're however you're thinking about your work. Yeah. How can the people on the interwebs find out about you and, and kind of 
keep abreast of, of the stuff that you're working on. I'm Kofi Gums on Twitter. I'm also Kofi Gums on GitHub. If, you know, via this conversation, you're like, I, you know, I, I like the way that, you know, this guy might think my organizer's code, then, you know, we can talk on either of those. Collaborate, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. I'm definitely going to go read your source code. <laughs> hey, listeners, maybe we can we can hang out in the issues and open a bunch of issues. <laughs> <in Kofi's> <laughs> I can I can vouch for being a collaborator with Kofi. He's great. <laughs> true, He's great to true. work with. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. Thanks again so much. And um, yeah, we'll be sure to include all of that information in the show notes. Yeah, this is awesome. Thanks, Kofi. Yeah, thank you. Ah, another fantastic conversation. Absolutely. I feel like I always walk away with these and I'm like super excited to do something. I'm mm-hmm. like, what do I do with mm-hmm. this energy? Um, I know what I maybe want to do with all this energy, but I'm curious for you, Jerome, how did that hit for you? What resonated? Well, what are you sparked with? Yeah, see, I'm interrupting you because I'm so excited to talk about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my biggest takeaway is that I'm clearly using GitHub incorrectly, or at least not to its full potential. Mm. You know, I'm saying that a little tongue in cheek, but I think Kofi made a really compelling case uh, for a really interesting way to make something from nothing. Mm. You don't start with nothing. Like it's so <laughs> <laughs> it's so obvious, but like, you know, most powerful things are. If I'm gonna write a blog post, I'm gonna do some initial research or I'm gonna have some notes I can draw on, or at the very least, you know, read something that sparks something for me. And I've just never really thought about code in the same way. I mean, I you know, there's a little bit of the the copy and pasta approach and taking from like tutorials and understanding how to do a particular thing, Stack Overflow, that kind of stuff. But I've never really thought about looking at a code base at somebody else's code and trying to find the kernel of what makes that code yeah. really interesting. Yeah. And so that for me is super exciting and. I'm tempted to start, you know, a side project now. <laughs> uh, we'll <laughs> yeah. see how far I get. But I think just having that guidepost of like, oh, yeah, what is the interesting thing here? Where where can I really pull out something that that gets my mind going, that gets me thinking, what can I do with this? Uh, I think hopefully that'll be motivating enough for me to at least complete something and ship it like Kofi does. Yeah, 100%. And I don't think I've ever used GitHub to its full extent like that either. I think I've approached it, but it it seems so uh, like obvious. Yeah, when mm-hmm. Kofi says it, you're like, oh yeah, definitely. You should be inspired by other people's work. What really hit for me, like I, I talked about in the beginning, I am always experimenting and always trying new things. And the one thing that Kofi was talking about that I think would help inspire me is specifically like how to load and unload Mm. it from your head Mm. and Mm -hmm. the way that he approaches it is like really scope things down work on the thing that's the most interesting right and make it small enough that you can fit it in your head and when there's something that needs to like support it Mm -hmm. make that its own thing get that out of the way knock it out call it done and get back to the thing that you think is interesting Mm -hmm. i think Mm -hmm. a lot of my I would say a lot of my personal projects are very ambitious, at least ambitious to me. Mm-hmm. They're usually in a domain I I've, don't really know a lot about, or they're using some sort of or several pieces of technology or languages or frameworks that I haven't worked in before. So there's like a lot to do, and it can get very overwhelming. 
So I'm like, ah, oh, I, I want to like go back to one of my projects and I'm like, clear all of that out, focus on like the really small kind of thing, call it done, mm-hmm. get other pieces out of the way. It's also like a really cool way to manage de- those dependencies. Mm-hmm. Like we talked about, he doesn't really write tests for some of his side <laughs> projects. <laughs> but like, you know, if you manage your code in that way, I think, I mean, I don't need to justify not writing tests in a side project, but, you know, I think mm-hmm. it would help me from not feeling overwhelmed, which is usually a blocker or a stopper for me with my side projects. Well, and, and Thomas, I think we've already also kind of done that, which is really af- affirming to Kofi's point with this podcast. I remember when we were starting this thing, we kind of, you know, took it not as like a lark, but we really wanted to focus only on the interesting bits. And we, mm. we tried to cut away all of the logistics and, you know, <laughs> really just trying to focus on what do we enjoy? What do we enjoy doing? And um, yeah, like I said, I, I, I think that just uh, highlights again, the truth behind what Kofi was saying and the insight that he had there. Yeah. He's really tapped into something. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Awesome. Well, I love this like meta commentary on the podcast and yeah, we're, several episodes in and it's feeling more and more exciting every time we get to talk to someone awesome like Kofi. So I can't wait to see who we talk to next. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Collaborative Craft. Check out the show notes for a link to this episode's transcript and to learn more about our guest. Collaborative Craft is brought to you by Eighthlight and produced by our friends at Dante32. Eighthlight is a software consultancy dedicated to increasing the quality of software in the world by partnering with our clients to deliver custom solutions to ambitious projects. To learn more about Eighthlight and how we can help you grow your software development and design capabilities, visit our website at eighthlight.com. Thanks again for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to Collaborative Craft wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Twitter at at CollabCraftCast to join in the conversation and let us know who you'd like to hear from next. We'd love to hear from you. Bye.